0: Okay, hello, nice to see you, a lot of you, so hello at the front and the middle and the back, Uh, just noticing some uh, familiar faces as I look around. And uh, some, uh, some very familiar, some vaguely familiar, and some yet to be familiar. So, whether we know each other uh, or not, whether you're familiar with meditation practice or not, whether you're coming to Gaia House uh, for the first time, or whether uh, coming here uh, is very familiar. As it is for some of you. In whatever way you find yourself here right now, welcome. And of course, with those vari- the variety of just those few different uh, possibilities that I mentioned, as well as all the other variety of possibilities of our different circumstances the different factors, the influencing factors in your life that bring you here right now. Whether you're here just because of your love of Dharma practice or whether you're here propelled by some kind of crisis in your life. Whether you find yourself here joyfully or whether you find yourself here uh, in a in confusion or difficulty. There's, a, there's quite a lot of us. And we might just sense that kind of variety of human experience. And maybe our turn right now to be in one of those places and someone else's turn to be in some other mind state, some other situation. Because that's human experience, right? Sometimes delightful sometimes difficult and so here we are together over these days with whatever influencing factors whatever conditions we find ourselves in with a, with a common purpose Some kind of pull towards depth. Towards an intimacy with life. Pull towards meeting ourselves. Meeting life itself. Meeting the movements and expressions. The currents of life the inner inward pulls and currents, the outer manifestations of our lives. The pull towards meeting things in as authentic a way as possible, as real a way as possible, as direct a way as possible, as intimate a way as possible. It's quite beautiful, really, to be in a gathering of people where there's that common purpose. And for those of us, and that of course means all of us, because that's why we're here, for those of us who who, who feel that pull keenly and respond to that pull by being here, you know, sometimes that Pulled towards depth, intimacy, truth, authenticity. And we might call towards real life, or free, a free life, a deep life, to being close to life. And sometimes that can feel like it's um, at odds with a lot of the currents and pulls of people around us it's a, it's a minority pull so as i as i just uh, you know come in and sit down this evening and look out at all of you i'm just struck by you know the fact that it's a beautiful thing to be uh, in a sangha to be in a group where one can know and recognize and trust that commonality of purpose. And then whether we're very familiar with meditation or not, whether we've been to Gaia House or not, whether we have some sense of the way retreats unfold or not, is really of much, much less consequence. Particularly those of you who may be, in fact, it would be helpful to see if you're doing a, uh, some kind of uh, resident, intensive residential meditation retreat for the first time, maybe you could just raise your hand. Yeah, so a, a large handful, maybe two handfuls, uh, maybe a dozen of you. So particularly in that uh, case, one can sometimes feel uh, in the sense of uh, newness as if that might be some difficulty, maybe, or obstacle, as if, uh, oh, as if, I don't know, as if what. But, uh, but just this recognition of, our, of the, the shared purpose, of its beauty, of its rarity, and of its possibility, These few days that we have together really are days of possibility. You've invested in this possibility. I'm sensing that as well as I look out at you all. That you've invested your time and willingness and energy and care and money. To be here for these days. Now, that investment also charges these days with possibility. And so, having invested up to this point, right, that means having got ourselves here, that possibility depends partly just on the mysterious grace of things. And partly depends on this, on our sincerity, each one of us. Depends on just how sincerely we can bring ourselves here. How sincerely we can meet and allow and make room for our experience as it shows up. Because that's really what being on retreat is, right? Being around as fully as we can be for our experience as it shows up. We're not really trying to add anything in. The days are rather um, um, simple. Simple rhythm, simple activities. Walking quietly, sitting quietly, eating quietly. That simplicity then, not so much about uh, creating or uh, producing anything within us. But rather, in the simplicity, creating a context just to see what does move. What moves in the body, in the heart, in the mind. If meditation is really a making room for our life, then what happens in that making room is that our life shows up. Sometimes in its immediacy, just the contact, body sitting. The contact of the, being among the trees while walking. Sometimes just the, the kind of the directness of that uh, sensory immediacy. Sometimes in terms of the kind of backlog, the accumulated momentum of the way we live or have been living our lives. when we notice the kind of, um, yeah, the, the rolling momentum of the way our minds move, of the various tension patterns in our bodies, of... Things that may be either currently active in our emotional lives or sometimes long, long, distant, very old in our emotional lives and yet still somehow getting a grip on the heart. And the invitation of retreat really is not to pick and choose that stuff. Not to have any idea of what the contents of bodily experience, emotional experience, mental experience ought to be. That's very limiting. And so if you're coming for the first time, you may be at some advantage there. If you don't know what to expect, oh, wonderful. Because nor do any of the rest of us either. But we may have fallen into the error of thinking we do. Oh yes, retreat. I've done a few of those. (laughs) I know what this is like. Oh dear. (laughs) So these days, together, pregnant with possibility. But not to limit that possibility with too many ideas of what what it ought to be like. Neither with worry of what it could be like. Neither with hope for what it could be like. Just with the willingness to really look and see. To listen deeply. To pay close and caring attention moment by moment. And to see what can be revealed, what can open up, what can unwind, what can start to free itself in doing that. I hope very much over these days to really um, to explore the very heart. Of Dharma practice, At the very heart of these practices and teachings for a free for freeing our life, live and let go. In the title of the retreat: unburdening the heart. I'm sometimes curious at the beginning of a retreat how many people are here because they were so inspired by the title and how many just kind of fitted with the time they had off work. But to the extent that uh, there's some resonance in that title the, the sense of letting go which is a little clumsy translation of the Pali word the word the Buddha used anupadana means not holding on not clinging Not contracting, not tightening around, not obsessing. A mind that lets go or lets be. A mind that's willing to uncontract around experience. To give space to what's happening. And over the days, I'd like to uh, follow one of the... um, a threefold teaching of the Buddhas around non-clinging. And, uh, and even though it's a teaching that's two and a half thousand years old, and even though we've undergone huge social and cultural and historical changes since then, the tendency of the human heart to tighten around, to obsess over to hang on to, to upset, to, uh, to cling, doesn't seem to have changed that much, not that much at all. And therefore, though we may be referring to a teaching that's ancient, really ancient, we'll be doing so in a way that makes it as alive as possible and as relevant as possible and as liberating as possible in our own hearts, in our own lives. So before we, you know, we'll, we'll uh, get into that progression a little bit tomorrow. But I'd like to just point to the... Um, Again, what we could say is the threefold nature of our experience. It might not be a completely accurate breaking down of our experience, but uh, just to refer to the, the physical aspect of our experience. And these threefold aspects, in terms of the kind of um, uh, you know, what we're meeting moment by moment, meeting our physical experience. In the realm of sensation meeting our emotional experience in the realm of feeling meeting our mental experience and the realm of thought and there's a, there's a the thread that runs through these aspects of our experience through the meditation through the teachings through the dialogue with each other, through all the different forms of our explorations, the thread of letting go. And that has, that, that the practice of letting go, or what we might more skillfully call the practice of non-clinging, has different emphases and different shades to it in those three different realms, which I'd like to speak a little bit about. Firstly, just in terms of bodily life. And as we speak about body, just to invite you in. Wherever your attention may be. Especially if it seems a little... Vague or abstracted. Let your attention just now. Really come down into. The direct knowing of your body sitting here. Direct knowing means not the thought of it. Not the image of it. Not the idea of it. Not the lived experience. This dynamic vibratory. Aliveness of body sitting. In some ways, grounding this capacity we have, this natural capacity we have for knowing, for being aware grounding this capacity in our bodies is really the ground of this practice, the ground of meditation. How easily we just forget body I just flew from my home in France today to Gatwick airport and I had about an hour and a half uh, between arriving and taking my train and I just kind of sat and watched people's bodies and there were a lot of absent bodies a lot of abstracted Tension. And I can see. I can see when people are really uh, they're not there. You know that famous line from the James Joyce novel, it says Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. Sometimes we think, well, if it was only a short distance it would be better. And the you know the pulls—it's probably Gatwick Airport's a kind of extreme version of the pulls on our attention. Well, there are many, many of those extremes around us. So much encouragement to be pulled, pulled to the duty free, pulled to the various kind of the alluring of various advertisings, pulled to have our attention be somewhere else, and that becomes such a strong habit pattern. But even when there's nothing external pulling our attention, we find that, oh, over decades, I've set up and reinforced that pattern to just let my attention go off somewhere, go off into some narrative, either, so either an explicit narrative, just talking to ourselves about our experience, or a vague narrative, where we don't even know that we're doing it, we don't know what it is we're talking about, it's just, it's kind of what the B- Buddha called the uh, ordinary, untrained mind. What I think of as a floppy, useless mind, vulnerable to just whatever whim, whatever reactivity our accumulated habit patterns throw up. So the thread of letting go with regards to bodily life is a kind of letting go into the body, letting go of abstractions, Letting go of stories. Letting go of the way we obsess about our bodies. Letting go of the ideas you have about yourself when you look in the mirror. Letting go of body in terms of age and gender, shape and perceived attractiveness. Letting go of the strange ideas you might have, might even obsess around to do with, you know, which bits are the right or wrong shape, or colour, or whatever. How much or little, hair you have or whatever your bodily obsessions might be. That's not bodily life. That's the narrative. Letting go into bodily life is a meeting, a direct, intimate meeting with this. heat, heat, pressure, vibration, sensation, density, lightness, the expansion and relaxation of breathing. Letting go into the body is intimacy with this ceaseless changing rhythm Letting go into the into body confronts us with the myst- mystery of this body as conscious, animated. Look, it moves, it feels, it experiences, it sees, it hears, it smells. It's, it's so familiar to us and yet... Often it's mostly familiar to us as an idea. Actually, in the direct contact, familiar isn't the right word. Immediate, mysterious, extraordinary, alive. Letting go into bodily life in itself is a, is a profoundly powerful and transformative practice and a considerable amount of our emphasis in meditation will be really on grounding our attention enlivening our attention filling out with our attention into the experience of body. Some of us with all these realms of experience, we tend to err on one side or the other. One side is the, is the kind of obsessing around body. And the other is being kind of dismissive of or in denial of body. We kind of shut down to it and don't attend to its needs. We might have some idea that it's sort of vain or um, or something. So, kind of, if we just kind of broadly generalise, the kind of secular cultural tendency is towards obsessing around body. And the kind of uptight religious tendency. Is to be in denial around body. What the Buddha called, calls the middle way isn't some kind of mediocre middle ground between those two. Right. It's just, it avoids that whole uh, continuum. Neither obsessing around, neither denying, but arriving in letting go into this immediacy this visceralness this body where our life happens (coughs) we can find the same uh, or similar kind of tendencies around emotional life, and some of us might notice the tendency toward a lot of emotional drama a kind of you know, we kind of wallow in emotional life our our inner heart life feels like a kind of particularly uh, like a soap opera. You no, know, soap operas are like a concentrated emotion. Like every episode, high drama. And we'd say, "Well, that's ridiculous. That's that's not at all realistic." Except sometimes, you know, we can our lives can be feel like high drama. And return turn uh, some you know, the things that happen in life, some misunderstanding or disagreement with somebody, things not turning out as we might like, the stuff that happens to everybody now and then, becomes a kind of, uh, you know, like a great tug on our heart. We might find ourselves drowning in, lost in, uh, completely tumbled up in emotional life. And it all seems to mean so much about me. What I need and what I want and what should be and how things should be and how what he could have said and what she should have done and da, da da da. It might be like that. Or it might be for some that the whole world of emotional life just is like, oh! Just like it seems like some kind of uh, like dreadful territory, best not gone anywhere near. <coughs> and there's a kind of like a portcullis that has come down over the emotional life. And we. Like, I will not feel. And we might find ourselves emotional, my emotional life? What's that? So these are the extremes of that continuum. And how easily, with the life of the heart, there's either a, a, some kind of um, drowning in some kind of uh, living out of a drama. Or a kind of cutting off. A moving away from and avoiding. A sense that feeling is somehow dangerous. Untrustworthy. Uncomfortable. Threatening. So the thread of our practice of letting go in the heart life is to let go, is to let our emotional life happen. To let our heart feel. Without that extra layer of what it means about me or about you or about this situation. But actually letting, letting... the the flow of the emotional life happen again this is a this is a powerful transformative practice in its own right there'll be there'll be plenty of scope for feeling life over these days And it may be that there's some real intensity of feeling. Whether that's up the end of the feeling scale of bliss. Feelings of uh, extraordinary intimacy, openness, delight. Or whether it's feelings of confusion, sadness. uh, Various painful feelings. Whether it's the noticing, you know, not so much at the extremes of the scales, whether it's the noticing of a low-level kind of bouncing around of feelings. Irritation in the supper queue. For example... One of the things I often find myself saying on meditation retreats is, There's no wrong feeling. There's no wrong feeling. Unfortunately, however much I try to invest in, when I say that, I try to kind of like, There's no wrong feeling. I try to kind of like transmit that message but thus far my power of transmission <laughs> hasn't uh, isn't up to isn't, hasn't made it yet if that if I could have if there could if I could really get the city for one good transmission that would be it that everyone really got that there's no wrong feeling there's nothing. no feeling that we need to censor out. Sometimes that's one of the kind of shadowy bits of, um, but the, of Buddhist environments of Dharma practice. We seem to think we've got everything's got to be nice, and what we, we should be with the the right feeling, so-called, is kind of kindness and peace and uh, other such lovely spiritual qualities. And everything else is some kind of taboo. No. There's no wrong feeling. Letting go, the practice of letting go with regard to the heart is to let what's here be felt. There's plenty of ways we might not want to act out those feelings. But to allow them to have their movement is very, very helpful. And there'll be plenty of times during the days, when uh, you know, times when we'll, that we'll make for dialogue, here in the hall together, for example. And I really want you enc- to encourage you to let what arises in the heart have its place. So the term letting go, like I said at the beginning, sometimes a little bit of a clumsy translation, it can be a little disingenuous. We can use it, especially if we've got the tendency to kind of push away emotional life. We say, oh, I'm going to let go of feeling." No, you can't get out that way. <laughs> the letting go with the emotional life isn't, isn't a letting go of it. It's a letting go of our strategizing around it. Letting go of, our, of the dramas we put on it and a letting go of the, the refusal and the denial and the judgment of it. It's a letting it be, a letting it have its life or letting it be felt, whatever it is. We can see the same two movements with regard to mental life, life of thought forms and thought streams and the mental states that they create. On one extreme, we've, we have thought as having a kind of, well, have, as having the highest authority in our experience. That our sense of what life is, is dictated by our thoughts. Who I am. What this is, what life is, what I want, what I need, what I have experienced, what I will experience, what I am experiencing. And all this stuff to do with the nature of life and the nature of my participation in life. But until we we train ourselves in a freer mode of being... The highest authority we have for these profound, important uh, subjects is whatever thought says about them. But thought, as you may already well know, and if you don't, you'll soon discover, thought is really, really, really unreliable. It does what the bloody hell it likes. <laughs> And whatever ideas we have about it, whatever we say, we ask thought, please behave in this way. Right? As if we control, we think they're my thoughts. So if they're really my thoughts, then if I tell them to behave in a certain way, they ought to behave that way. If I say, please come and meditate, don't think of anything else, just hang out here, let's go. They ought to do that, right? Thought isn't a suitable candidate to be the highest authority for our sense of what life is. So on one extreme we've got this this situation where the highest authority we know is our thought about, our thought about things, our thought about me, our thought about you, our thought about life. And on the other extreme, again, that we might call a kind of general, normal, so-called, cultural tendency and then on the other hand we have the, the kind of tendency that sometimes grows up around things like meditation practice where we we come up with the opposite but equally clumsy and unhelpful sense that thought is somehow the enemy that I've got to I'm, I'm supposed to stop thinking there's much more effective ways to stop thinking than meditating they're a bit drastic usually <laughs> Like a lobotomy. Right. Sometimes, sometimes, when there's a certain quietitude and a certain sensitivity, and we might find through meditation that that quietitude and sensitivity, we ha- start to have more and more access to it, and then sometimes, definitely, quite naturally, the the kind of agitating nature of thought just just doesn't need to sustain. And it may be that our minds become uh, increasingly quiet, spacious, still. Uh, They become kind of more and more uh, relieving places to be. But if if we in any way make the goal of our practice to try and stop thinking, it's going to be a long few days... So our letting go with respect to mental life is the letting go of those two extremes. Certainly the letting go of the effort to stop thinking. But also letting go of the authority we give to thought. Thinking that it can adequately describe what's happening. So we just come back. We just drop. We just let go. We just soften around. We just allow the thought form that we've noticed to dissolve. We leave it alone. We leave thought alone. And Certainly the meditation instructions that I'll give and the way we'll, we'll pursue our practice together will, will be, you know, the, the deepening in different ways of these three uh, paths, if you like, that I'm alluding to. The practice of non-clinging with respect to body, heart and mind. really helpful as we begin meditation to to really consciously find your way in to your posture even if meditation posture is very familiar to you don't take it for granted really let yourself sense into the straightness of your back as you sit whether on a chair or on the floor, letting your spine be long, feeling some space between your vertebrae. Let your shoulders and chest be open. might be helpful just to roll your shoulders back a little if you're not sure. You can really feel some space in the area of your chest. And let your belly be soft, round, relaxed. You might take two or three deeper breaths into your belly. And just letting yourself sigh the out-breath. And just noticing as we sit here together. the natural knowing, the basic aliveness inherent in being here. The natural knowing that we call awareness. Right here at the heart of all our experience, This natural knowing that feels your body sitting here. This natural knowing that registers the hearing of my voice. This natural knowing that is the ground, the heart of meditation. natural knowing letting awareness contact the experience of breathing not the idea of the breath but really sensing into the way the sensation of breath happens the natural expansion that you can feel as the in-breath comes in. And the natural relaxation that happens with the out-breath. So letting your awareness really suffuse into the experience of the breath. Letting awareness inhabit your chest and belly where you can feel that expansion and relaxation happening. Using the natural qualities of the breath to support your meditation. Using the natural expansion of breathing in to enliven awareness. Letting awareness really expand into the full experience of the in-breath. And relaxing out-breath. Using the natural relaxation of breathing out to rest into the experience of the breath. Training yourself in this way, of the expanding in-breath and the relaxing out-breath. Deeply inhabiting bodily life. Breathing in and out. Attention starts to get caught up in thinking. Just as you notice it, just leave the thought alone. Bring your attention back to your body. To the expanding sensation of the in-breath. The relaxing sensation of the out-breath. natural rhythm of breathing. really finding the place where you can most fully sense the expansion and relaxation of the rhythm of breathing. Might be in your chest or your diaphragm or way down in your belly. Don't worry about the anatomy of it. Sensing the alive experience of body breathing. Staying deeply present through the whole movement of the in-breath. the relaxation of the out through the momentary still point between breaths thoughts or sounds different reactions might pull on your attention and whenever you notice that whether it's just beginning or whether you've been caught in it for a few minutes at the moment you notice that being caught up As the out-breath comes along, just letting that dissolve in the relaxation of the out-breath. Putting your attention unhook. Let go. Bringing your attention back into your body Into the simplicity and the aliveness of expanding in-breath, relaxing out-breath. Keep using your breath to orientate your attention, to deepen your awareness in bodily life. Awareness of body from the inside. And the aliveness and immediacy of this breath, this moment, this life. last couple of minutes even if your attention has been carried away many times or for long moments right now you can let go of whatever abstraction may have been present Right now you can bring your awareness to breath, body, immediacy, natural expansion, natural relaxation, natural rhythm of breathing. infused with the natural knowing of awareness. We'll we'll expand upon and explore the nuances of the meditation practice as the days go by. And I'll speak more fully uh, tomorrow morning, um, making some reference to posture and things as well. So, As well as the sitting and walking meditations through the days, Have you seen, this? was the schedule posted already? Did you see the schedule? Yeah. Well, it's on there if you have it. It's on the board if you haven't seen it. So there'll be periods of sitting and walking meditation. There'll be uh, guidance and instructions of the meditation. There'll be teachings. There'll be uh, at least twice a day. We'll give some time to exploring together in here in the hall and I really want to encourage you to bring what's alive for you to those moments I know that sometimes it can feel a little intimidating to speak in a large group and this is a fairly large group but your experience is important your freedom of being is important your participation is important. So it, you might feel intimidated, you might feel shy, you might feel, oh, you don't know if the words are going to come out right. But yeah, who cares? <laughs> don't let that stand in the way of bringing forth what's important. I'll uh, make as many individual uh, meetings with me available as possible as I can during the days as well. So, if there are things that you feel uh, that feel that you feel would be better met meeting with me individually, or that you feel unable to bring up in the larger group, then you can also make use of those uh, those times. And given that we're a lot of people, those, uh, those times will be quite short, so uh, you might need to come with the kind of efficient version, the, the essence of what you want to explore to those meetings. And I, I, would really, I would really hope to be the best support I can be to you over these days. And in the light of that, I would also really ask you to be the best support you can be to each other, however, these days. Maybe one of the coordinators who spoke before me, Mark was that? maybe spoke in terms of the kind of the ethical guidelines that are in, underpin Buddhist practice. And I, did you do that? And there's one, two, three, four, five... I tend not to list the five in that way, but that's Guy House's way. But I think what's really important is the, the sense of, which is what the guidelines point to, is the sense of cultivating an environment of trust, of care, of respect, of a, kind of, of a mutual kind of uh, caring for one another, really. And that we create this field of practice together. We create this field of presence together. So I really want to ask you in terms of the silence. You know, to really give yourself the gift of being here quietly. Turn your phone off. And to really give each other the gift of... Being here simply, quietly, intimately, with oneself, so really allowing each other the time and space and quietitude to follow your th- the thread of your experience, to see what's going on in the light of our practice together, and uh, you know the sincerity of each one of us really really contributes to this the field of goodness the field of practice that we generate together and in that way each one of us benefits from the sincerity of the others and in that way each one of us contributes to that field of practice with our own sincerity and there's a very uh, a very uh, real way in which you know there's a, it, uh, a kind of exponential empowerment to our field of practice that happens in that way. And I think it's important to give voice to that and the way of feeling our, each of us our capacity to really support ourselves, to really support each other, to really be supported by each other over these days. So, it's about twenty past nine, I'm sure some of you are tired, if, uh, not particularly may have had a long journey, but sometimes even if the journey wasn't very long or strenuous, there's something about just arriving in the quietitude of a place like this, that suddenly the accumulated fatigue of our lives catches up with us, and nine thirty suddenly feels very late. So I just want to check if there's anything uh, that's not clear that you feel like you need to know tonight. Then please ask. Good. Okay. So the The schedule has the ambitious begins ambitiously at six o 'clock. It says "Awake and exercise Just please feel free to awake and exercise at six o 'clock generally it 's really r- helpful in getting up before meditation will be at six forty five in here together each morning before breakfast and it 's very helpful to to be awake enough time before that to kind of enliven yourself, to stretch. Some of you may have a well-established yoga practice or qigong or something similar. Or you might jog or just go for a walk in the early morning. Or do some stretches, something that invigorates, that enlivens, that wakes up the cells. Very helpful. But I also, on the first morning, I really also want to make provision. If you find yourself really weary, you know, if when you hear that bell at six o'clock, you're like, rest. Right? Day after tomorrow, I won't be saying that. (laughs) But tomorrow, if if you're tired, rest. And you have to use your own discernment then for what's suitable for you. You may know recognize that you don't really need the rest, but it's just you kind of would rather just go stay unconscious under the covers, <laughs> in which case it might be more suitable to get up, exercise. But it might be also that the tendency is more, "Oh, I should get up, I ought to get up, I shouldn't." I mean, and it might be more suitable to rest. I don't know, right? But I would really invite you to find out what best supports you. And because there's often this accumulated fatigue that we arrive at retreat with, I think it's, it's important not to just, you know, we do what it says on the schedule necessarily, but see what really fits for you tomorrow. So, there's that time uh, for waking up. There's a meditation in here at 6.45. Breakfast is at 7.30. And then after that, there's the work period and... Uh, where we equally have the opportunity to just bring ourselves to what we're doing inhabiting the movement the action and noticing when mind goes off to to this and that and see if you just can just come back to ex- viscerally experiencing what you're doing so I'll be very happy to see you here at six forty-five in the morning. But I really want to make that uh, that first part just of tomorrow morning um, not optional in the terms of just following your your preferences, but a kind of a, yeah a window of opportunity to use your wise discernment of what would best serve you in the early morning. Rest, exercise, meditation, you have to see. So friends, I wish you a peaceful night's rest and uh, I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Okay. Bonne nuit. Good night.